if I had to pick a Hall of Fame of Joe Mauer analysis, like if I was going in the Joe Mauer analysis Hall of Fame, which cap would I don? The Joe sure. Mauer defender or the sure. Joe Mauer basher? Still defender. I would choose the defender. Yeah. Yeah, like I played most of my Joe Mauer I think that would get chosen for career. you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, Pedro, you're not wearing an Expos cap. Right. What, what, whatever. <laughs> Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com. Or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a 1500ESPN Twin Cities production. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and done! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. I want this episode to be all about Joseph Patrick Maurer. Okay. If you're down for that. Um, yeah, more than down. I think I, I think I want to lay this out in two parts. Number one, sort of what's going on with Joe Maurer from a big picture standpoint. Not how are his quads doing in the micro, more Joe Maurer in the macro, age thirty three, two years left on the contract. So so part one, what's up with Joe Maurer in general? And then part two is Joe Maurer and or should Joe Maurer be a Hall of Famer? Okay. okay. Um, and we should probably go in that order, though, right? I mean, Yes. Because to me, and I'll let you set this up for sure, but to me, the conversations are pretty distinct. Like, And I've talked about this in the past, and I won't get on my soapbox, but like, personally, don't care too much about the Hall of Fame in any sport, even baseball. Baseball is my favorite sport. Love the tradition. Love the history. Do not care what an assembled group of mostly old white men think about <laughs> sure. baseball players. Like, it just, I don't It is assign, a blown up, it's a, it's a manufactured, yeah, uh, I just don't assign overblown too much, meme in some ways. Yeah. I, I don't assign too much value to it. With that being said, I do think for it, the value that is gained from having a Hall of Fame, and this is no disrespect to Hall of Famers, I think if Molitor heard that, he'd probably think that's blasphemy, and that's okay, that's his right. But I think the value of having the Hall of Fame is it gives us a portal into these discussions, right? I mean, you can talk about, is Andre Dawson a Hall of Famer? And then you get to revisit how great Andre Dawson was and uh, how he compares to other historically great baseball players and what baseball was like when Dawson was playing. Sure, sure. Man, those Cubs teams. And those are fun discussions. And that's a fun talk to have. So that is the value of these. And I will get off my soapbox now. And we can legitimately discuss. It's very existential. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, where I will uh, I'm a actually. Sports nihilist. <laughs> you should have a sports nihilist podcast. Would, We've talked about this that before. That would be fun. Where like nothing matters, yeah. but we still in, enjoy watching I, the things that don't matter. I'll cut off your tangent really quickly <laughs> with another tangent of my own that I was watching the EPL this weekend, and I've got a new team because my old team got relegated. Um, but uh, Newcastle, Newcastle, yeah. they got relegated. So I'm now a Tottenham Hotspur fan. Wow, because bandwagon jump. Nope, my favorite player from Newcastle, uh, Sissoko, is now on. Anyways, it's a long story. He's on Tottenham now, and he's great. But I was tweeting about it, and people are saying they're like, "Why? Why are you tweeting about soccer? Why? Why are you tweeting about EPL soccer? It doesn't matter." Oh, really? 
So I thought I didn't get whipped up into a frenzy, but I thought about like, oh, but the Vikings matter, or the Twins matter, oh, or Michael sure. Jordan matters. You get to decide what matters, and if it's not important to you, it's unimportant. You get to engage in the it's memes so and the forms of entertainment that you want to. It's the argument that I give because I'm a huge professional wrestling geek. In sure. fact, I'm missing Monday Night Raw. Oh my gosh! Right now, let's wrap this up to tape this podcast with you. <laughs> yes or no? Is Mao or Hall of Famer? <laughs> Um, and, and it's like when people get on me, you know, that's fake, right? <laughs> no, I, I know. You know that Game of Thrones is fake sure, too, yeah. right? <laughs> also, if you didn't, why ruin it? <laughs> like if you just what? love this. What? <laughs> like, why did you tell me that? No. Young guy in his early thirties, just his paradigm is crushed that he finds out <laughs> pro wrestling is not real. Uh, so on the hall of fame front where I, where I agree with you is it is funny. We draw by we, I mean, 600 sports writers, sure. right? The BBWA draws an arbitrary line that's almost impossible to quantify other than, well, these guys put up these numbers and they're above the line and these guys put up these numbers and they're below the line. But yeah. then there's this other arbitrary uh, component of did they enhance their performance yeah, and by right. how much? Yeah. And so whatever, we're just going to decide what we think and uh, sure. screw all of you. Yeah. And so it is kind of, it's a funny exercise that, and it's, it's, there's different processes for different Hall of Fames, but the baseball process is so stuffy sometimes. Bless so them, stuffy. Bless them for doing what they consider to be important work, and most of them for trying very hard and, and doing a lot of important work to catalog this stuff. I just don't think that 50 years in the future, we're going to look back and be like, oh, well, what did they think? Because it'll be much easier to access these like these records, and it's not going to be as important to remember you know, relative performance for... I mean, if you look back in 50 years, are you going to are you going to be as outraged that like Jack Morris isn't in the Hall of Fame? Or are you just going to acknowledge, you know what, I really enjoyed watching Jack Morris pitch when I was a kid. Man, and that Game 7 performance I'll was one of the most... I'll never forget. Yeah, it's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't devalue what he did in Game 7. Sure. So anyways, I, um, on Joe Mar, let's get to part one here. Because yeah, you and I have a tendency to ramble on, and there, this might, this might be a, a long conversation. I haven't so. even had my coffee this evening, so... <laughs> Uh, you it. drink coffee in the evening, huh? No, I try not okay. to because then my podcasts get long-winded. <laughs> Super wired. So um, I, the one thing that stands out to me is it almost feels in some way like we're back in 2011 with Joe Maurer. And I covered that team all year. It was, it was a cloud of mystery, and it was bilateral leg weakness for Joe. And later on, it was pneumonia. And Joe held a press conference in the offseason in December, I believe, sort of a... Because people were wondering what's wrong, and I was wondering behind the scenes, what is, okay, what, it can't just be that you're not old, you're like, you're in your prime right now. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it uh, some sort of a setback from the knee surgery in the off season? You know, what, what is it? Usually teams and players are pretty open about sports injuries, right? Once what's, it's happened, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a sore back or whatever yeah. it may be. Can't and with the Twins it. and Mauer, they were just being so mysterious. And then they labeled it. If they could go back, they would They would not do this. They wouldn't label yeah. it bilateral leg weakness. Big but mistake. now, mistake. five years later, is there a difference, and I'm, I'm just wondering out loud, between bilateral leg weakness in 2011 and two sore quads yeah. that have kept him out of the lineup for the majority of the month of September so far. Yeah. And and even when he's in the lineup, he's hitting like a buck fifty right. and he's not getting on base. He's not hitting for power. It's not strained quads. It, it it would be really really random and odd and bizarre to just strain both quads and then the classification of sore quads takes me back to two thousand eleven. That's bilateral leg weakness, right? You just have two sort of weak and sore legs. Could and I'm be. not trying to laugh, but right. 
the idea that there's some elephant in the room that's not being addressed, I think, is an important one. Sure. Um, I think it's interesting too that, and and look, I, I've talked about this. Like, there's a continuum, right? On one end of the continuum, you have the Mauer Basher, and on the other end of the continuum, necessarily, you have the Mauer Defender. You're not one or the other. It's not black and white. It's I've gone a, through various a, phases. In yes, my, of course, I, in I my know spectrum. you have. You and you very publicly. You more than most. Uh, but I would say that uh, on this, you know, this graduated line, wherever it is, I probably through the course of my, my short media career so far, I would lean more towards Mauer Defender. I think it's funny that most people don't. Yeah acknowledge his greatness when he was great. Like, he had one year where everyone thought he was great, and then he stopped hitting home runs, and people thought he was trash. Yes, because people like, put too much stock into home runs and RBIs. Yeah, and homers ta- and ribbies. Taters, right? I get it. I get it. The tater meter's important, as Brian Dozier will tell you. But, even as someone who has probably come down more on the side of a Mauer defender, great player, great career, definitely deserves to have his number retired as a twin, um... You know, borderline Hall of Famer, as as we'll talk about here. It would be weird to me, even as someone like that, who would just say, yeah, I mean, his offense has just vanished. It's gone away. His durability yeah. is gone. Oh, oh, well, it's because in August he had a couple of sore quads, and of course that's hard to play through. Yeah. I'm not trying to belittle the idea of playing through injuries in baseball. I recognize that's much more difficult than the average fan gives it credit for it's incredibly difficult to do what these guys do every single day with that being said there is no way in my mind that a couple of sore muscles in his upper legs are responsible for the falling off of the of the planet for some of his offensive numbers yeah and to be clear i uh if i had to pick a hall of fame of joe mauer analysis like if i was going in the joe mauer analysis hall of fame which cap would i don the joe mauer defender or the joe mauer basher still defender i would choose the defender yeah yeah like i played most of my joe mauer i think that would get chosen for you yeah (laughs) like pedro you're not wearing an expos cap whatever (laughs) yeah i spent i spent the majority of my joe mauer analyst career wearing the joe mauer defender randy johnson's not going in with an m on his hat right that way i just i'm i'm so curious about the physical deterioration because it's not really a natural career descent unless there is major physical deterioration. I mean, or, ordinarily, it would be for a guy of of his caliber offensively, and he's winning batting titles throughout his mid to late twenties, and even as recently as three years ago, batting three twenty four or three twenty five, and uh, hitting a bunch of doubles, thirty five or forty doubles, whatever it was, and it was like. Overnight, even moving from catcher to first base, overnight, his batting average dropped 50 points. He was a 324 hitter and an all-star at age 30. And then at age 31, he was a shell of himself at a position that's much, much less less taxing physically. So um, just in terms of the Joe Maurer audit here, I think it's, we have an annual audit, it yeah. feels like now, Joe Maurer. <laughs> yeah. Over the last three years now, we've had three years to let things play out at first base, all right, it's a it's a less taxing position physically. He he was coming off a concussion too, or multiple concussions perhaps that drove him away from catching. So you have to factor that in, which is impossible to quantify. But he's a two sixty nine hitter over the last three years with a seven thirty nine OPS and averages eight homers, fifty seven RBIs, and sixty six runs for you counting stats people, and an average of one win above replacement in those three years. And his hard hit rate has dropped 10 to 12% over that stretch as well compared to 
uh, when he hit 324 in 2013. That's the same OPS, different eras, and I get it. I should have probably looked up OPS plus as Dustin Moore, Rich Becker, Chad Allen, and yeah. Scott Stahoviak. Yeah. So he's sort of he's just sort of become the hitters that we made fun of in sure. the 90s, the other dark era of the Twins, and it's just a very curious career arc. Well, and I'm not going to double down on this, but, you know, I, I'll say I, I, I'm not going to argue on both sides of this. I'm not going to play devil's advocate. That war statistic factors in positional contribution like first baseman hit better than most players sure so if you're a bad hitting first baseman like joe mauer is you get dinged yeah if you if he was playing catcher with the same exact offensive performance Higher war. he'd have like a two and a half or sure. three war instead of a one sure. war or whatever it so that's be. my only point is like don't don't necessarily for the listeners out there don't necessarily think of war as gospel war is a fun and interesting guide and i think very helpful and continuing to be refined but it still needs further refinement and it's not perfect and if you take it out of context and sort of ignore the positional flexibility thing or ignore the fact that they weigh defense pretty heavily despite not being very good at tracking defense yeah. yet, especially for catchers and that, like, there, it has its imperfections. So don't, don't take war as gospel. That's coming from a true uh, card-carrying stats nerd. War's great. It's not perfect. And it's- you you should consider Mauer's numbers in the context of first baseman. That's perfectly fine. But then don't double-ding him for his... Crappy war. Yeah, too. it's a it's a great drive by all encompassing statistic, yeah. and it's not meant to be. And how cool was Ben Zobrist really? Like the fourth right, most valuable right, player yeah. a few years ago, <laughs> just well, because you played eight positions. He had a ring. He got <laughs> he's a, a ring. great player, and he's yeah, an underrated yeah. player. But um, for him to be a lot of sabermetricians a few years ago were looking at Ben Zobrist. I think he was still with the Tampa Bay Rays, and were legitimately looking yeah. at him as an MVP. And you know who I because love? Of war. I love Alex Gordon. I think Alex Gordon's a great player, and he's so fun to watch. And he's probably, yeah. besides, you know, peak Carl Crawford, is the best person I've seen play in left field, like in person. But like Alex Gordon being up there with the uh, the Andrew McCutcheons, the Mike Trout's, the Miguel Cabreras of the world in terms of most valuable player, I, well, that was that was hard oh. to buy a couple of years ago. So on the on the Joe Mauer audit here on the the big picture of Joe Maurer's career arc, I think, well, I, I don't know if there's one smoking gun thing that explains why he's dropped off 50 points in average and off the planet with on base. Uh, the power that he did have has gone down. He's not hitting the ball as hard the last three years. It could be that the concussions he suffered, or the concussion or concussions, however you want to quantify that, three years ago, or even just the, so it could be that. It could be sort of part B to that or or part two. 10 years of catching and being like six foot three, which is he doesn't have that typical Pudge Rodriguez or Russell Martin sure, yeah. shorter, stockier, muscular build that would seem to hold up over time more than a leaner, less muscular six foot three, six foot four uh, athlete at that position. So it could just be he's irreparably beat up from 10 years of mostly playing that position professionally, not even including sure. uh, you know minor leagues and and uh in high school or or it could be the third thing which is he's always been really secretive he's always been very private he's never really outside of two years later referring to blurry vision for you know something that he was dealing with uh in years prior he's always played his physical condition close to the vest is there something else that's been bothering him over the years knees back whatever it may be um, and now it's sore quads. Has he had more underlying issues than he's let on to the public? And then when he eventually hangs it up, he's going to say, oh, by the way, like I was way, 
way more beat up than any yeah. of you guys knew, and I just, for whatever reason, decided not to defend myself when I was getting hammered for all those years yeah. for not hitting enough home runs or not producing enough offensively at first base. I'll throw in one other thing, and then I'll just weigh in on that. Uh, I don't think it's accounted for all of the drop-off in his numbers. You know, I mean, he's 370 on base or whatever it's gotten down to now, and, and that's probably trending south for the rest of the season. But, like, you know, that's not – I mean, it's not terrible. You you, you take that. It, that's It's not necessarily vintage Joe Maurer, and when it doesn't come alongside power or good batting average, you tend to look at those numbers a little more skeptically and say, Ugh. That's, there's just not that much there. For the record, it's 364 now. 364, yeah. So <laughs> probably, like I said, trending south. I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing it doesn't stop there. But 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 anyways, um, he still gets on base. He still has this whatever you want to call it. People people mock this all the time. I get it. But like this sort of um, professional approach to an at bat. Oh, for and, sure. And I I think that there's like that's. That's not worth nothing. So he's what an I was absolute say, pro at the plate. Still, yeah. it's, his he—you can tell his mind is yep, still there. The mind's still but sharp. But his body—he's Peyton Manning. His body lets him do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, Col- or Kobe Bryant. Sure, sure. For one night, can go off for sixty points. For yep. one month, he can hit three twenty yep. or three fifty. And he did that in April, and I think he did it again in like June or July. But he can't do it for six months. Yeah, he can't do it for the duration and the grind. Well, and so here's the one thing I was going to say is that he's really good at. We talked on the radio a couple of weeks ago now about Byron Buxton to Max Kepler switching from defense at the plate to offense at the plate. You know, go up there, find a good count, get your fastball to to hit, and, well, okay, now you got two strikes on you, you got to change your approach a little bit. I'm not saying you have to swing more meekly, but you do have to kind of be more aware of that outside corner and be willing to either foul it off or try to go the other way with the pitch. Whereas the first pitch, you get it, if, if if someone comes up there, you're facing Chris Sale and you're Joe Maurer and you walk up to the plate. And Joe uh, Chris Sale hits his perfect spot on the outside corner with a fastball for strike one. It's fine to take that pitch. It's fine because you're not going to crush that pitch if you don't feel confident that you're going to hit it. Uh, you know, a high percentage of the time. Yeah. Then then wait for a better pitch because you're confident in your hands and your eyes and that you can do that. Two strikes, you got to swing at that pitch. You know, so so Maurer has a finely tuned sense of what I'm talking about here. That, like, he, he might be the best on the Twins at that. When's the last... Uh, I can't think of a better player for the Twins in my life that's, that's done that. Oh, for sure. But, here, but here, Molitor, here's something to watch, too. And this, sure. this has been the case for a number of years. He's never been a swing out of his cleats kind of a guy. He's yeah. been a very controlled, smooth swing. But even more so the last couple of years. Watch... The Toronto Blue Jays lineup yeah. and how ridiculously hard some of those guys swing. Yeah. Or watch like Adrian Beltre swing a bat. Yeah, he's he's hitting home runs on his knee because he's falling that. over. Yeah. Right, he's, favorite, it's kind of one of my show. favorite highlights. Yeah, he's he does it like once a year where he'll go down to a knee and just hit a bomb in yeah. the third deck. <laughs> the pitcher probably should put one in his ribs the next time up if he's following <laughs> the code. But it's Beltre. When's the last time you saw Joe? Yeah, absolutely unleash and take a cut. Oh, yeah, I don't never. think physically he's able to. If he were to do that physically, he might tear both oblique. Like, can you? Is, do you have? Can you do that? Is it possible? Yeah, you could. I do wonder. I do wonder how much of it's physical, how much of it's mental. That's kind of just always been his approach. Yeah. Um, and I guess to to finish uh, sewing that thread through our tapestry here, uh, Maurer's always been very good at that. He remains very good at that. And one of the things that I do think has hurt him, as you know, his line drives to left field become a little softer, and his roll over dribblers to second base become a little more frequent 
uh, and his 12 hoppers up the middle aren't going for singles anymore, I do think that the shift has hurt Joe Maurer disproportionately to other players in this era. I don't have the stats to back that up. So this is a stats-driven, twins-oriented podcast. There's probably someone out there smarter than me who has figured this stuff out or who's looked at this. But just anecdotally, from following the Twins, and then I was away for one summer covering the Orioles, so I kind of got you know another view of the Twins from the outside, plus the American League East, and learning these other teams and these other hitters and their tendencies and seeing them often enough. I strongly believe that there hasn't, there aren't very many players on this short list, and Maurer is on the short list yeah. of guys whose typical hits have been much more able to be defended. They've taken away. Even Chris Davis, who they'd send three infielders to the right side of the infield, so his pull-heavy ground ball swing would not produce base hits to right field. I don't even think he was affected as much but as Maurer has been. You also have to consider, too, that he's, and I brought this up at the top of the podcast or uh, when we dove into the Maurer conversation, his hard hit rate has decreased a lot in yeah. the last three years. Oh, so. I'm not saying this is the only excuse. Yeah. I'm saying it's a part of the math that kind of all goes into this broader discussion. I think if you're a straight pull hitter, shifting should absolutely hurt you more than Joe Maurer because Joe Maurer pulls the ball on the ground to the right side, on the ground in line drives, and then hits fly balls and or line drives to left sure. field. And primarily, that's where he's hitting the ball, right? Yep. Sometimes up the middle, but he's pretty rarely hitting fly balls to the right center field gap. Sure. He's pretty rarely hitting uh, ground balls to, you know, third base Down or shortstop or whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Sure. So in, in that sense, if he had if he had five sweet spots that he would take pitches to, if he was a, you know, fly ball to down the line and fly ball to the to the center fielder, but then like hard ground balls all over the infield or whatever. Sure. If there was four or five spots instead of two, then sure. it would be harder to yeah. put out the fire. Like I say, it's totally anecdotal. I think if you're going to defend Maurer, you uh, you have two second basemen on the right side. You have somebody standing up the middle for those little dribblers that get past the pitcher's mound. And then you have two people standing in left field, or you yeah. put Phil Cuzzy down the left field line. And <laughs> That's how you defend him. Try to take away some yeah, like, of those You clone hits, yeah. Phil Cuzzy. <laughs> you put him at every base. Yeah, uh, Joe Maurer, by the way, how many... Uh, Here's a trivia question sure. for you. And if you okay. if you heard this on a radio show, then you no, know. No, no, no. Of course. I don't listen to your radio How show. How many postseason extra base hits does Joe Maurer have? Joe Maurer, postseason This is a good segue into Hall hits. of Fame conversation. Okay. Um, because that's interesting. That is part of the math for a lot of people. Um, okay. Joe Maurer, rookie season 2004. Am I right there? I think I am. Yes. 2004. The Twins obviously haven't been to the playoffs. Uh, 2010. Carry the four. Um <laughs> This is Sean Aronson from the hottest new podcast, The Voice Behind the Voice. I'm going to slide into someone else's podcast and tell you about mine. Each week, I sit down with some of the biggest names in the sports broadcasting industry. We talk about how they got started, how they got to where they are now, and other humorous stories. You can find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. That's The Voice Behind the Voice. I'm trying to think of how many games he's played, but it would be around, what, 12 to 15-ish? Like, kind of in that range, a dozen plus? Well, I don't want to help you too much. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I think that (laughs) Joe Maurer has one postseason extra base. That's correct. Actually, he should have two because Phil Cousins screwed him out of the other. All right. Hey, uh, this is me tipping my cap to the crowd if they want to uh, salute that So let's segue then into part two of this because 
it's going to be a, a topic. If he, Pat Royce thinks there's a chance he might retire after this year, just I thought bo- that was interesting. body beat up. I don't know if he's just floating that out there or if he's hearing that from people. But it's hard to know with Pat. Bo- bo- yeah, body is beat up. Kenny Vargas is tearing the cover off the ball. You've got make fun of him, but you got Byung Ho Park under sure. contract. Yeah. Miguel Sano needs a spot. As Adam of right Brett now, Walker, Trevor Plouffe. Adam Brett Walker. Not saying he's going to crack the big leagues next year, but if he does, it's not as an outfielder. Yeah. I promise you that. So there's you've got this log jam, and and Joe Maurer is just. He's as replaceable as he's ever been uh, from a production standpoint, and he makes $23 million. So my question is, is he a Hall of Famer? If not, how close do you think he should get to that arbitrary line? And let me start the conversation off with this. My definition of Hall of Fame, and this is sort of a nebulous, vague definition, but there is no, there is no line. There, we're dealing in arbitrary judgments here, right? I think you have to be one of the greatest players at your position during your era, and that qualifies you for strong Hall of Fame consideration. So you can even do that exercise off the top of your head, right? Okay, Ken Griffey Jr., was he one of the best center fielders or outfielders, however you want to, whatever sure. Ben you want to put him in during his era? Yeah. Yes. Barry Bonds. And notice how I say nothing about PEDs here. Yeah. You either were or you weren't. If you're borderline, if you were maybe the fifth best if you're Sammy Sosa and you hit a bunch of home runs and you had a great five-year run of crazy yeah. power, but maybe there were five other guys in the outfield who were better than you and you did performance-enhancing drugs of some kind, Andy Pettit. I might keep you out. Andy Pettit yeah. might be on that list. Yep. And I, but, like, Roger Clemens? Yes. Roger Clemens is a Hall of Famer. Yep. May I submit to you, over the last 15 years, Joe Maurer by far, so his era, last 15 years, by far has the highest career wins above replacement of any catcher during that 15-year stretch. He also has the highest batting average and the highest on-base percentage, and those were much... If you just take the 10 years he was a catcher, his average has dropped off like 14 points for his career. The on-base has dropped off. So during his era, he's ahead of Brian McCann. Now, Jorge Posada, I'm cutting off part of his... Jorge Posada started his career in the mid-90s, and so... He'd be closer to Joe Maurer in wins above replacement, but and if you extend beyond wins above replacement, um, and maybe you maybe you factor in defense, could a guy like Yadier Molina, independent of his fairly low WAR and bad offense, outside of like a three year run? Yeah, well, I think Yadier's a Hall of Famer. If you're going off wins above replacement, and it's tough to quantify catchers, some people are going to say no. Some of the sure. Sabre oh, guys. Yeah. Oh, I know. I'd put Yadi in. I yeah. think he's been one of the greatest defensive catchers yeah, of all yeah. time. Yadi's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Plus, so let's put Yadi in. Sure. Buster Posey, he's 28-29. Jury's still out on him. Three World Series, so, good offensive catcher. Plays some first base, of course. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to look at 20-year chunks, 15, 20-year chunks, so okay. that's, that's a specific era in baseball. Okay. And you're going to take... Guys who were at the top or right close to the top at their position for that era, by that definition, Joe Maurer is a Hall of Famer. Yadier Molina, maybe Jorge Posada, but Joe Maurer to me would be, and Jorge you would give the postseason credentials to, so I think sure, that yeah. puts him over Joe Maurer. And the late 90s, you have to get yep, for sure. all his numbers. Late 90s, so, let me, and Joe Maurer might be third on that list. Let me add another wrinkle to this conversation, because I think we'd have to first figure out, strip Strip the names. Let's not talk about Buster Posey, Matt Wieters, Joe Maurer. Let's let's like let's not Did you talk put about Matt Wieters. In no, the no, Hall no, of I Fame just, no. I was just talking about like Baltimore uh, bias coming. through. I was talking about offensive oriented catchers. Things haven't worked out for Matt. Are you Wieters the guy who the voted for BJ Surhoff on your ballot like <laughs> no, a few years ago? No, nor did I vote for Jack Jones. By the way, <laughs> uh, no, they 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 would not give me a vote, and I respect their 
their uh, choice to do that. Um, I will say, I will say that we'd have to first define what constitutes a player's playing career, and that sounds nebulous and it sounds vague. Let me explain. You're talking about a ten-year chunk wherein Joe Mauer was probably the best catcher in baseball. I'm also including his three years of first base offensive futility, and which that's, dragged that performance that's down. That's part of my question, is you mentioned Maurer, Maurer as one of the best catchers of his era. I think you could also argue reasonably fairly that he's among the worst first basemen of his era. Sure. Now, he's only played three seasons. I get it. You know, it's, we're talking about a much smaller sample and at the back end of a guy's career. Here's the question. How much do you ding Willie Mays for his Mets days? How much did Ding Harmon Killebrew for his Royals well, days? Now those were short lived. That yeah, doesn't I mean, count. You're talking like two decades yes. with a team, and then five Correct. minutes. So, so with... that's so that's dumb. But Maurer, the math is a little bit different uh, in terms of proportion of production and the age at which he dropped off. Sure. Right? Uh, ordinarily, the Hall of Fame committee wants to see production into your 30s, unless something happened. I mean, Kirby Puckett was 35 when he. When he had to retire, sure. Um, I'd but have people to go look have at pointed Roberto out Clemente. I'd have to go look at his age. He was young. People have pointed out he still had. I mean, he has three thousand hits, infamously. But he also was not done playing baseball when he tragically passed. And three thousand hits at that point—that that's not even comparable to Joe, right? Oh, exactly. But let me say this: is that I do, I do wonder. You know, what's the longevity versus peak performance versus? Um, you know, people have pointed out that Joe Maurer has a higher WAR than Kirby Puckett, but like if Kirby look- also has a home run in Game Six, sure, and- <laughs> yeah, I mean, like one two <laughs> and that World matters. Series, that, that totally matter. matters. Like as someone who's as someone who's already acknowledged being agnostic to the Hall of Fame and also being a self-proclaimed stats nerd who has also within the man, I've really hit all my bases on this podcast because I also said sometimes stats just go too far and stats geeks like myself sometimes hear that in bristle. They think it's coming from a place of hate or they think it's coming from, I should say we, we think it's coming from a place of ignorance or you don't know what you're talking about if you don't think stats matter. And I do think that stats matter and I think they're an incredibly useful tool and they're important to how I view the game of baseball. That's my prism. But I also see people, you know, if you say, um, sort of, if you say non-ironically that your only Hall of Fame argument for Maurer is he has more war than Kirby Puckett, Kirby Puckett's a Hall of Famer, transitive property, Joe Maurer's a Hall of Famer. That, you can miss me with that. That means nothing to me. Um, the the question that I have is, as you were just kind of getting to, players whose careers cut short. Okay, we can look at their peak more honestly. Like... How about, here's an interesting example of a guy who will never make the Hall of Fame, but who people asked when he retired, Johnny Damon. Is Johnny Damon a Hall of Famer? Like, no, of course not. But he did have some longevity, and he did rack up some real counting stats. Right, but he was he never some World Series. He was never for a prolonged, I should say prolonged stretch, too, sure. when I'm talking about best at your position. Sure, sure. So it's, and I think in your era covers that. Yeah. It's not like you popped up and for three years you were really, really sure. good at your position. It's for your career where you considered one of the best sure. two or three or whatever that number is. And like at having your lived through Johnny Damon's era, the answer like is very apparent. The, like obviously not. He's a really good outfielder. He is yeah. the hall of I think they need to they, here's here's more to my agnosticism. They need to have a hall of really good. Like Torrey Hunter is a really good baseball player. Yeah. He had a phenomenal career and he's one of the best twins 
well, for sure of my lifetime, but arguably of all time. Like, Tory Hunter's on that short list. Yeah, Ken Herbeck would be on that list, too. Is Tory Hunter a baseball Hall of Famer? Like, I had, I had someone in the Twins organization ask me that this spring. He said, eh, I said, well, you know, it's going to be different. This was in Fort Myers, standing behind the batting cage and watching some batting practice. Early spring training, Fort Myers, he says. You know, it's going to be different without Tory this year. So, yeah, I don't disagree. I think uh, he added some real elements that surprised me last year. And, of course... You know, it remains to be seen what happens there. It turns out that his point was awfully prescient, but he asked, he said, so what do you think? Said, he said, do you have a vote? I said, no, 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 I don't have a vote. But like, <laughs> and I didn't go into this all, it doesn't matter kind of a thing, the sports nihilism. <laughs> you should have gone it. That would have been funny. Did you know that this is all very arbitrary yeah. and <laughs> doesn't matter as much yeah. as you think it does? Like, you realize we just <laughs> cast importance onto these things that ultimately don't change the the <laughs> axis of the earth, right? He looks back at me with a blank stare and is like, going to go stand over there now. Questions uh, his entire profession, yeah. And so do you. He's, yeah, well, he's a 60-year <laughs> lifer, and he's like, huh, that's oh, something man. to chew on. But it, no, anyways, in all seriousness, he says, so do you think, so, okay, you don't have a vote, but tell me, what do you, like, what do you think? You think Tory's a, a Hall of Famer? And I'm not going to, like, slap this guy across the face. I mean, he works for the Twins, and he's a good friend of Tory's, and I just said, Man, it's going to be really hard. I I know a lot of people like him, and he's super well-respected, and he retired with his reputation intact. You know, good baseball player. Kind of kind of revived the Twins for a brief minute. He was the he was the defibrillator in yeah. 2015. It's, it's even more amazing now that you've had I know. 2016 play out with unreal. a week left in the season. Yeah, un, unreal. Uh, but I just said, I said, man, I just you look at the other guys that are in the Hall of Fame, and you look at how many people want to preserve the you know quote unquote sanctity of the Hall of Fame. Of this is for the elite. This is for the Ken Griffey Juniors. I mean, I'm talking about the people who are considering not putting in David Ortiz or like who've kept sort of Edgar Martinez at arm's length. Like those are two very good hitters in my generation and, you know, our designated hitters and not quite up to that great. We need to have two different classifications because Tory Hunter would be a first ballot Hall of Very Gooder. <laughs> But David there's or- a difference. David Ortiz, I think, with DHs, because there's just not as many yeah. you know, career DHs, for my theory anyways, I think you have to put him at first base, dock him points for not actually playing first okay. base, and then decide, was he the best? Like, if you were to put him at first base and then just look at his offensive performance, would he be the best? So you're stacking him in up that against era. Miguel Cabrera instead of Billy Butler and he's and he's in that category. Yeah, Paul Canerco, Mike, kind of those. Yes, guys. he's above Paul Canerco, but yeah. Paul Canerco gets credit for playing first base. Yeah. Uh, and so I put David Ortiz in the Paul Hall. Canerco, Hall of Very Gooder. So on this on this topic, then would Joe would Joe Maurer have been better off if his career if he just said, "Hey, this this is going to sound crazy because I have." five years left and a hundred million dollars on this deal but i'm not really feeling it anymore that concussion has sort of rattled me a little bit no pun intended and i got kids now yeah i got a family and i've made an f load of money yeah i'm good and i know that sounds really terrible to say but i'm just going to kind of drop the mic or actually he wouldn't have received any sympathy if he would have done it that way no if concussions would have forced him to stop playing after 2013 a season in which he batted 324 and was back to peak Joe Maurer, right? Yeah. On base percentage Joe Maurer. But well, he had to he, retire at 30. Then you know who he is, right? I mean, if he does that, he's Barry Sanders. Yeah. Wow, that's a great point. We have uh, one of the all-time greats at our in our fingertips here. with. I'm talking Barry Sanders, not Joe Maurer. 
Barry Sanders then decides to walk away from the game of football, and he's looked back after the fact of, wow, really and, respect that and guy. And you wonder what, what, what could have been? been. Of course, Barry Sanders is a running back, and he was 29 or 30 what when he retired. What if Barry Sanders played four more years and was terrible, like 2.1 yards per carry? History tells you Barry Sanders would have dropped off like almost every other great running back at 30 or 31. We think way differently he, of him. He was much closer to his cliff than Joe Maurer was at 30, you thought sure, anyways. Sure. Of course, it turned out that the cliff was immediate. Um, and of course, catching for 10 years probably brings the cliff a lot closer than if you were to play first base for 10 years or second base or whatever yeah. other position. So I, it is weird that his last three years have damaged Probably his, ding him, yeah. Pe- people would have looked at him if, if he had, for whatever reason, if he was forced to stop playing after 2013, they would. I think they would have looked at his counting stats and said, you know what, you're going to get a bit of a pass on those. We're just going to look at the fact that you retired number one in batting average the last hundred years at your position. Yeah. Number two in on-base percentage, last hundred years at your position. More head and shoulders commercials per capita <laughs> right. over the last 100 years, right. too. Uh, no postseason. If he had more of a postseason track record, if he had led the Twins yeah. to a World Series or something be, and had a big postseason, yeah. it, the conversation would go even further toward Hall of Fame. So sure. uh, just do I have a definitive answer on my end? I would say... If I'm going 100% on my theory, which is, are you one of the greatest players at your position during your era, so your 15- to 20-year era, if I'm sticking to that exact definition, I have to say yes. Buster Posey is sort of in that conversation at some point. Jorge Posada is in that conversation. Yadier Molina is in that conversation. Um, he, so he's borderline based on on that if you if you if you go down the counting stats path, because the counting stats do matter to the voters, but if I just look at him and see the drop off after the age of thirty, I say Hall of Very Gooder. Hmm. You're right there with like Jack Morris, and you're just the window closed as you were. That's where he drew the line. In line, yeah, yeah, exactly. You were yeah. you were going to buy your ticket, and then we flipped the sign and said, "Sorry, sold out." The more he faces his baseball mortality in front of. Thousands of fans on TV and in stadiums every night. The more he does what he's been doing the last three years, the more that that's going to be how you remember him, and the less likely it is that he will get sure. Hall of Fame consideration. Sure, fair. You um, never saw Barry Sanders right as a three and a half yards per carry grinded out at right. the end of his career running back. Yeah. There's something to be said about not showing people that side of you. Yeah. That that's really that's something I wrestle with. Like Peyton Manning, for example. I mean, he retired with a Super Bowl, so it's hard to argue against yeah. him. But like, he wasn't the same quarterback. It wasn't the dominant Indianapolis Colts, where it was Peyton and Tom Moore just running the NFL for a while, much the way Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are running it now. Like, where you just had this just assurance of dominance it was hey. The Colts are going to be fine this year. What do you mean? They have zero offensive linemen, they don't have a running back, and they forgot to sign a defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, but they've got Peyton Manning. They're going to go 12-4, and four, and then they'll, okay, here, insert joke here, they'll flame out in the playoffs. But, but like, Peyton Manning was so terrific. Uh, and, and sort of witnessing that mortality as it plays out is one of the fun and interesting dramas about sports to me. It's one of the things that keeps this stuff interesting, but, like, Baseball, it's it's oftentimes it's just sad. Like you're watching guys kind of cling on a little bit. Like, dude, at the end of his career, 
How sad was it to watch Ken Griffey Jr. with the White Sox? I was like, man. They had him in center field, too. Like, man, that's Griffey. He's like 38 yeah, playing center field like, for no reason. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, man. It's, but but it was, it, you know, sad is maybe too strong of a word, but it was, there is a certain, like, emotional quality to seeing these players who you perceive to be, like, otherworldly great, and then watching them struggle so much, like, losing that slight edge of, whether it's hand-eye coordination or just flexibility, whatever, muscle strength and endurance, whatever it is for any given player, it's sad to see the backslope of that happen. Uh, Maurer, it's been, I would argue, fairly exaggerated and fairly early, earlier than I expected. I know the catching thing you mentioned uh, time and again about the toll that that must have taken on him, but like, See this guy who was just so fantastic, even as recently, you know, as a couple of years ago, to basically going up there and the best thing you can say about him at the end of most games is he took a couple of good at-bats, he drew a walk, and he hit one ball hard. And it's like, that's not to demean Maurer. Like I said, I'm kind of on the Maurer defender end of the spectrum. Um, I think he's a great player, and we don't really remember or appreciate him well enough, at least if I'm sampling the Twitter uh, universe. Um, so his career is going to be a really interesting one to look back on in retrospect where he was, where he was, where his sort of trajectory was headed, where he ultimately ended up. I mean, it's all part of the math. It is all part of his quilt uh, as a major league baseball, like his story. That is all a part of it. And um, you know, sometimes I think we give too much weight to the recent stuff. Sometimes I think we give too much weight to the yeah. fact that he doesn't hit hashtag dingers. But, like, you can't, even as a Maurer defender, the most ardent Maurer defender can't look out there and say, like, oh, yeah, whatever. I mean, $23 million and, like, and whatever. Who cares if he's one of the worst first basemen? And, yeah, but, like, remember he was great four years ago. And who cares? Like, you can't, you can't look at it objectively and not think that this has now become a problem for the Twins. Um and yet, like, is that Maurer's fault? I, I always go back to that. We love blaming athletes these days for signing big contracts. Oh, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with him being lazy or him yeah, no. not wanting it or any of those being things, invested. even though that's how it might come off because he's so such a subdued personality. So then the other layer to this, which we can discuss on future podcasts, is how will a new president of baseball operations come in and look at Joe Maurer? That if it's be... this guy from Cleveland who's younger than Joe Maurer, yeah, Derek Valvey uh, yeah, comes in. Younger than Glenn Perkins and younger than Joe Maurer. Great name, by the way. It spells his name correctly as well, which is encouraging to see. More if, and more people are spelling it that way. If he were Phil Falvey, I think I would yeah. agree with you. Uh, I do want to say before we do close the podcast, because there's a great piece on Twins Daily that I read this April, and I was uh, looking for the name. It's Bill Parker at Twins Daily basically wrote the case in April that we're sort of making here about, uh, uh, you know, historically great catcher, and now we think about him in the context of a bad hitting first baseman. And I think I, and I didn't reread the article for this podcast. I apologize for that bill. But, uh, if I remember correctly, cause I remember nodding in agreement with a lot of the things that I read in that article, you can find it at twinsdaily.com. You just talk about, uh, you know, search for yeah. is Joe Morrow hall of famer. And, and anyways, it basically said, you know, if you look at his peak and you look at his position, yeah, like he's already on that list. He's already surpassed some catchers who are in the hall of fame. Even when you, adjust for era and context and stuff like that. Um, 
I think, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was talking about, well, and if he bounces back at first base this year, now let's see. But if he doesn't, and if his career were over today, uh, you know, what? Uh, where does he stand? That's kind of what the conversation's going to be the rest of his career, because I don't, as someone who predicted a bit of a renaissance this season, I don't see a big picture bounce back to dominance anymore. Now no. you're 33, you're talking about one of the worst first basemen offensively among regulars in baseball. I, I there's no, don't There's see... no logical path to him having a massive bounce back right. season. This is his new reality, and yeah. you have to decide as a front office, and if you're him, sure. you have to decide, okay, this is the new reality, what do you want to do going forward? A 365 on base percentage with 10 home runs. That that's Maurer, and then yeah, that's going to be a fun and interesting podcast. But I didn't give my one word answer yet for the Hall of Fame question: <laughs> Is Joe Maurer a Hall of Famer or a Hall of Very Gooder? Um, and with all of this stuff as a backdrop that we've talked about, I'm going to say yes. I think Joe Maurer ends up in Cooperstown someday. I don't but, know how it happens, but at some point he will be there, and he won't just have gotten lost and and wandered in. It will be. Joe Maurer, enshrined in Cooperstown. But you won't care because it doesn't matter. Nothing matters.